Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Uh, so last episode, Brad, when I was, I don't know, for some reason, just railing on you even more than I usually do, uh, I made a comment like uh, for any new listeners, it's going to sound like I'm a huge asshole to Brad or I'm just a huge asshole for picking on Brad. And uh, like you might not know that we're friends and this is just what we do. We've done this for since we started the podcast. <laughs> Someone comments like, don't worry, Ryan, I, uh, I've been watching these videos for a long time and I know you're an asshole regardless. I was like, no. <laughs> well, it's honest. <laughs> It's, um, podcasts can be intimate. You really do get to know who we are as people when you listen long enough. And that is absolutely horrifying to me because I don't think anybody's going to come to good conclusions. <laughs> we've, we've mentioned this quite a few times, but it's worth, it bears repeating just cause we haven't done these in a while, but every time we're at meetups, we make a really, you know, strong effort to tie names and faces to like the virtual names that we interact with people with because we interact with with the fans and listeners quite a bit and uh i don't know part of that is just small talk and so we'll say something like oh yeah that's my you know uh that brad will be like that's my wife crystal and someone will look at brad like yeah i know i know you better than you yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like right 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 we talk to you like three hours a week got it forgot about that part yeah whole, it's always like the whole thing hey brad how's it going i'm like hey you <laughs> it's always when my favorite thing at the meetups is hi brad i'm so-and-so everybody please lead with that and include your screen name it's less weird that way which sounds counterproductive to every other human a- interaction you'd ever have in your life <laughs> which but, is pretty much yeah the, that's what you need to kind of set yourself to to interact with us in any kind of normal way we're we're pretty counter to any normal human interaction you've had in your entire life yeah this is this is fair we make fun of Evan a lot for being a, a weirdo, but he's actually the uh, he's the baseline. He, we bring him in to normalize the conversation when it's getting a little bit out of hand. Oh, Try man. and help as the best I can. Evan, I Evan, we're talking about how many uh, kegs of uh, beer we figure Bob Prober could slam in an hour. Can you come here and get this back on the rails? Thanks. <laughs> it's probably a lot, though. It's so many. I'll still never forget when Probert just walked into our dressing room. We were in the, uh, play downs, the OMHA play downs. And, uh, our coach walks in. It was like after a practice coach walks in, he's like, Hey boys, no one leave. And we're like, why? Proby walks in. He goes, Hey boys, go get him tomorrow. And walks out. We're just like, hello. <laughs> <laughs> was that Bob Probert? <laughs> Are we oh, in danger? <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. Just reminiscing. Welcome to the winged wheel podcast. I'm Ryan Hanna. I am now slightly brighter, Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. I thought for uh, sure I was going to have that bar of light across my face tonight and be so uncomfortable, but you know, everything's working out right now. I always, I, I record in the bedroom, so for obvious reasons, my blinds are closed 98% of the time, but I'm like, oh, it's daylight. Why do I have them closed right now when I'm sitting right next to the window? Yeah, this is the best lit you've been since we've started doing these virtually. Yeah, you can really tell the tan that I don't have. <laughs> Brad uses uh, Brad records not even with a camera. We just kind of gave him an old mirror we found in the garbage with some wires stuck to it. <laughs> Plug that in via USB. It's good to go. Um, speaking of things from way back, 
there's just a lot of stuff that kind of obviously melted away when when COVID hit and the pandemic started. It was about this time last year. I I actually might have been March 24th or like this equivalent weekend last year where we were supposed to be in Grand Rapids for the first time. That was this weekend. Uh, yeah. And that was supposed to be our first games uh, as both as credentialed media. It was supposed to be our first games meeting Grand Rapids fans. Obviously, we've been dying to get out there uh, to to meet the Griffins fans and, and Griffins Winged Wheel podcast listeners for a long time. Um, we had some uh, meetings in Detroit that kind of got canceled and things got pushed by a year. Uh, but the good news is some things are returning to normal. So, uh, we've been able to kind of pick those conversations up again and a nice little, uh, ray of sunshine after this past year has been that, uh, we can now say that we are uh, officially partnered with the Jamie Daniels foundation, which is an initiative that we are really, really, really strong believers in. Obviously the Red Wings community has, uh, is no stranger to that. There was that awesome fundraising effort not too long ago by, um, Denver law 14 on Reddit and, uh, pushed further by Prashanth Iyer. Um, so this is a, a foundation that we've been looking to kind of, uh, use our platform to support for a while now. So we're really, really excited to get this partnership going. Uh, the more we talk about substance use disorder, the faster we can end the stigma and get support to those in need. Um, the Jamie Daniels Foundation, which is a children's foundation initiative, uh, was established in memory of Jamie Daniels and founded by Jamie's father and Red Wings lead announcer, uh, Ken Daniels, and Jamie's mother, Lisa Daniels-Goldman. The foundation strives to end the stigma of substance use disorder and provide support to those struggling with the disease or who are in recovery. Uh, if you want to learn more about this and support the Jamie Daniels Foundation, visit jamiedanielsfoundation.org. Uh, there's more to come with this partnership, but we're just happy to get the ball rolling. Even if it's uh, it, it kind of took a year as everything kind of went nuts, we're really, really happy that we got to this point. All right. Hockey news, Red Wings news. Uh, on this episode of the podcast, we are going to be talking about a couple different things. Uh, the Red Wings, we'll give a quick recap of their game, and then maybe we'll get back to some systems talk with them uh, because I have some crow to eat on this podcast before Brad can kind of throw it in my face. Uh, before that, we'll be talking about the refereeing controversy that's uh, going on right now. Uh, and then we'll get to some other small tidbits of news before overtime. So, so let's start this out. Red Wings versus Nashville, first game of the series. They have another one tomorrow night. We're recording this on Wednesday night. That This was a uh, fourth, fifth, and sixth consecutive periods without a Red Wings goal, so you can imagine how this game went. Just a snooze fest. If you fell asleep, you wouldn't have missed anything. If you watched the game, you saw nothing, and if you missed the game completely, you missed nothing. That kind of game. Similar to the uh, loss against Dallas, where they were also shut out. Now, um, I believe it was the end of the first period or some point in the first period a uh an official by the name of tim peel whose name has been uttered on this podcast before hockey fans are are going to be very familiar with tim tim peel for a lot of different reasons uh he got caught on a hot mic because he was mic'd up heading into or it was the halfway through the second period heading into uh commercial i believe on the nashville side of the broadcast and he was talking about a penalty call in the context of this, he was actually talking to Philip Forsberg in the Nashville bench. So he wasn't talking to another ref. He was talking to Nashville, after, uh, discussing a, a a penalty called against Nashville. He said, it wasn't much, but I wanted to get a fucking penalty against Nashville early in the I don't know, period, game, whatever you want to fill it in. So there's Tim Peel on a hot mic admitting 
to a makeup call. We call. He knew he was forcing the call, that kind of thing. Today, uh, that got picked up. It it started exploding on Twitter. Uh, Today, the NHL announced that, quote, referee Tim Peel will no longer be working NHL games uh, now or in the future. A little bit more context here. Tim Peel's last ever game of his career, I think 15-year career or something, was meant to be April 24th, so a month from today. So I don't know if they actually, they, they full out fired the guy more like forced him into early retirement, but that was uh, the NHL's answer to the whole thing. This is the absolute okay. dream, to be honest. You get severance and get to retire early. I don't know if he just, if he doesn't, if he gets severance, I think it's just that he's like not scheduled, you know, like it he's might not be fired. he probably get severance, right? He'll, he'll still get his pay. He's not fired. So he'll get his pension. I think what, oh, what was going around is if yes. he got canned, he loses his pension, but because they're forcing him into early retirement, he'll still get his pension. Oh, Look, I think Tim Peel, I think he's the worst referee I've ever known as a hockey fan. And I, I, like, I, I know the names of a few of them, which is how you know they're bad. The only good one I know is Wes McCauley by name, like right now. I think Tim Peel is easily the worst referee I've ever had the privilege of witnessing, or witnessing over the enti- my entire life watching professional hockey. I don't think the answer here is to take this. Like anyone calling to like fire the guy, take away his benefits. or rate, No, no, no. This is a human being. And we're going to get to it in a second here. But I, he's being scapegoated a little bit my 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 (laughs) reaction to this was like look tim peel sucks he's a god-awful referee has always been and would have been for the next month like that would never have changed but he's just it's like it's a symptom to the disease right like what he did wasn't a one-off anyways i'll turn it over to you guys yeah he said the quiet part out loud um nobody in their right mind has ever thought that makeup calls weren't a thing you look at the scoreboard of almost every nhl game for a long time and in 98 percent of the games the penalties are going to be reasonably close it doesn't matter if it's the tampa bay lightning versus the detroit red wings a game where you know detroit's probably going to take a majority of the penalties because they can't keep up and yet at the end of it the penalties would be four three three two something like that it's unfathomably coincidental that all these games have close penalties, like penalty numbers uh, between the two teams. We have eyes. We watch these games. You can spot makeup calls a mile away. You can predict it. We, everybody on this podcast and probably several people listening have sent tweets saying, oh, Detroit just got three power plays in a row. You know that makeup calls coming. And then it happens. On a nothing call, like a Red Wing player looked at the opponent funny. There we go. It's again, I'm with Ryan. I've never thought Tim Peel's been good at his job. Um, He could be a great guy. Again, just much like my disagreements with Jeff Blashill's philosophy on coaching. I can disagree with the professional and not hate the human being. I don't know anything about Tim Peel, the human being. So I'd be gutted if he lost his pension because of one screw up and and something that I will bet 50% of the refs in the NHL have said to each other or in a similar context. This is it's an open secret that this happens in every level of hockey. Ryan's right. Tim Peel got caught. He was the one who the audio picked up. 
He's a scapegoat. The fact that he was a month away from retirement made it all the more convenient for the NHL. So was this kind of a perfect storm of suck? Yeah, it was, but the NHL has easy out. They can take a quote-unquote tough stance. He's never refing in an NH- another NHL game. Cool. What are you suspending him for? 15 games? whoop de doo What would you have done if this was a 30-year-old? Because I guarantee it wouldn't have been the same thing. And we'd have a far bigger controversy on our hands because obviously that press release from the NHL is very carefully worded to not mention that he was fired. So my take on this is it sucks. He deserved to be reprimanded. It's a fitting punishment for the crime. It sucks that his name is going to be like sucks for him that his name is going to be tarnished forever because of this one incident and not because of his years of incompetence. But I digress. But it, is it going to change anything in the NHL? No. It's not. If anybody thinks, oh, this is the one, now we're going to start seeing games where teams take seven penalties and the other team only gets two. No, it's not going to happen. Nothing's going to change. The NHL did their little cleanse, their little, hey, integrity of the game, and nothing comes of it. So This happens it, in every sport. Like, Yeah. Look at the NBA. Like, I think LeBron gets fat. Air quotes fouled more than any other player in the league at the start. It's preferential treatment. Like refing's like that in every game. Like think of soccer. Like some refs need like a security escort to get out of the out of the stadiums. Like make up calls and calling things to get one back for the other team. Like it's in every single sport. Um, I'd also like to note that uh, we didn't mention that Tim Peel scored a goal with his dick, so that's impressive. <laughs> um, so to say his reputation is tarnished, I think, is a little overkill. The, um, his reputation is tarnished because now he won't be remembered for the guy who scored a goal on Roberto Luongo with his dick. We lose like, that now. That gets lost in the memories. It's no longer the biggest story of his career. I like how uh, Luongo sort of tweeted about that today. It's <laughs> like, you don't even need to watch the video to know which goal he's in net. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to add was, um, I think the NHL came down harder than what people may have expected. You know, obviously because it's an early retirement, whatever. I I personally thought they were coming down hard because they want to be in bed with all the the gambling avenues. Um, they yeah. can't have yeah. refs, you know, deciding uh, deciding games air quotes again um, the outcomes of games. And if gambling companies look at this, they know all the leagues do it. But to hear a ref say it um, on a mic is different. Um, so if they hear that, they're like, "Well, why would we spend all this money and have bookies and you know potentially lose money?" Like they want to make it as sure thing as possible for them to be making money. They got to come down hard on them. I think they may have come down hard on any of the refs in this instance. Maybe not, you know, full termination, but I think if it was a younger ref, you might not see them a lot next year too. So I, I didn't see that angle getting spun anywhere, but that was the first thing I thought about was this looks terrible if they're trying to get into gambling. My thing here is that I, I think that's that's a very good point, Evan, and I, I that was for sure a discussion when they were talking about this punishment, right? Because they they have to worry about the refs' association, and that's a strong union. It is in any professional sports league. Um, you don't have to. What was the what's the name of that uh, the touchdown call against? I think it was Green Bay and Seattle when they had to use like the NCAA, NCAA refs or whatever it was. Oh, the fail Mary. 
Yeah, the fail Mary. Like every sports fan who was watching sports at that time knows that story. Um, so that that's a good point about the gambling, and, and I think that ties in with with what you said elsewhere, Evan, which is that this does happen everywhere, and I don't think bookies or, or gambling companies are going to come in and say you need to completely reform refing. But you can't be saying the quiet part out loud. It's a confidence thing, right? Like they, yeah, it's one hundred percent. Can't be heard, and they it can't be part of someone's mindset when they're going to place bets or build a business around a portion of the NHL. And Matt Duchesne, you could tell he was a little heated, and in a way, the NHL got lucky this happened uh, to the Red Wings because Matt Duchesne made a great point. He's like seven people were watching. <laughs> no. <laughs> Because the Red Wings yeah, didn't five score. Five of them were Nashville Predators. Because <laughs> the Red Wings, like, honestly, because the Red Wings didn't score on the power play. Because that was a tie game at that point still, I believe. If not, it was only a one goal game. And Duchesne was saying, he's like, hey, we're in a playoff race. We're only a handful of points out of a playoff spot right now. What if Detroit scores on that power play? We lose the game by one. And then we miss the playoffs by one or two points. That one makeup call has the potential, though long odds, to blow their entire season. So, you know, people can balk when they go, integrity of the game, <laughs> no, but but actually, like, it calls like this change hockey games. Whether fans want to admit it or not, the NHL obviously won't admit it. Players will freely uh, complain about it. But if there's a team with a ton of momentum, makeup call, power play goal or it just takes away the momentum shifts the focus of the game like it matters like think of how uh perfect example and this wasn't necessarily a makeup call but just the vegas golden knights right now could be complaining they don't have a stanley cup because of one horrible major call the golden knights were a great team that year that awful five minute call against uh Cody Eakin that gave San Jose a 4-3 lead on a 5 when they were down 3 nothing like that didn't change a game that changed the season cuz who knows what what happens to Vegas if they advance past that first round that was a game 7 of a playoff series obviously i'm using the most extreme example in hockey history but that's just to illustrate Duchesne's not wrong these things could and have happened so they have to call the game true as it is and get this mentality right the hell out circling back to what i said earlier is a goddamn pipe dream because it's never gonna happen pittsburgh penguins player using two sticks actively to impact the play in the stanley cup finals it's it's hard for red wings fans to remember probably but this stuff matters when you're a good team well makeup calls kind of happen because the refs make a bad call or they make the wrong call whether it be a be a penalty or not a penalty so they 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 have this thought in their back of their mind that now they're going to be hyperactive and looking to make up for that mistake so kind of comes back to the refs almost being better at their jobs which i hate to say because it's a horribly difficult job and i you know i feel for them and how fast the game's gotten in every sport it's it's brutal being a referee and no and it's the most thankless job i think that's out there so you know, if they're a little better off the bat, we wouldn't need makeup calls, and here we are. You know, you say it's thankless, but I say, yeah, thanks, ref, every game, Evan. So I say, yes, not sarcastically at all. <laughs> yeah, and those makeup calls, though, 
they suck. They're a little more understandable. The makeup calls that drive me nuts is the ones where Team X is getting pinned all period, all game, and they take three, four penalties in a row because, you know, whatever reason you want to throw it there. And then the ref's like, oh, the Red Wings just had three power plays in a row. I should probably give Nashville one here just to, you know, balance it out a little bit. Those are the ones that drive me up the goddamn wall. Even if all three penalties were legitimate and there were no missed calls on the other team, you know that call is coming and I hate it. I hate it so much. There's there's clearly external pressure to make it so like that's not just like a normal thought. It was like it doesn't have to be even like there's how many sound bites have we heard over the over the years of coaches being pissed that they were in the penalty box the whole game and the other team wasn't or something along the lines of that. Like there's external forces to the reason why games are so even in penalties. The The irony of that statement is the games where the refs are complaining like, oh, how did we take seven? They only got two. Those were probably the games that were called honestly because they're like, well, yeah, making it up. Your team took a shit ton of penalties. Enjoy your shit ton of penalties. There's Yeah, like there's just no way that a game can be so the penalties can be so evenly distributed between both teams over uh, countless years. Like it just doesn't make sense to me, but it is. My, my thing is like, there's, there's people who are saying, call the rule book. There's people who are saying, do you want the game to ever progress? That's going to be excruciating to watch. And I think the answer lies somewhere in the middle with the huge, very important underlying structure to this, which is that just be consistent don't deviate too much from the rule book. I don't think you can be like over, like don't go too aggressive or don't go too light where you think calling no penalties is a good thing. No, it's not. <laughs> no hockey game progresses without penalties. Like be reasonable, but just be consistent. Draw where your line is and keep it there. And then from there, however the players are playing, you call it based on that. Anyone who's who's saying, who thinks that every penalty or any kind of play on the ice is black and white where you can decide it's a penalty. It's not. That's just not the way the rule book within hockey is designed. There are, there is a, a level of subjectivity and interpretation uh, from person to person, from referee to referee. So it, it is difficult, like Evan mentioned, but just be consistent in how you interpret it. That's it. Nobody wants, like Brad said, nobody wants, oh, this team had seven penalty kills. Now give them a power play. Nobody wants that. Call it based on what happens and how the game is going. I guarantee you, if you open up two minutes into the second period or two minutes into the first period and there's a like chintzy hold call, and then you call that same call again against either team three minutes later, those coaches are going to be saying to their guys, Hey, they're calling everything tonight. You know, play it safe, play it close. Don't like, don't push it. If a ref lets a big hit go and he lets a scrum go after where punches are thrown and all he says is, Hey, boys, knock it off, break it up, and no penalties are going. The coaches are going to say, "All right, boys, if they're going to if they're going to run at us, play with your elbows out. Give them a, like give them some digs in the ribs. Like their players and coaches will adjust, but just have a standard and go with it. It'll normalize over time. So if you like run and gun hockey where everything's allowed, or if you like you know strictly by the rules hockey where where uh, they call it more closer to the book, that will normalize over the time and we'll find a natural middle. But there's just too much variance from person to person. I shouldn't know when Tim Peel's refing." That's the byline to all this. I should not know when Tim Peel is refing, but I do based on the, the kind of asinine calls that are made anyways. Yeah, that's pretty much where I'm at. And I have, again, to reiterate for one final time, zero faith this is going to change anything. Yeah. 
This is just lip service to cover their ass, basically. Exactly. They're they the NHL assumes they've pulled the wool over everyone's eyes. Everyone is saying, You haven't fooled us. We know he's about to retire. It's not a firing, and we don't even want him to be fired. He's a symptom of a much larger issue. And then the NHL replies saying, Yes, we agree. We did fix this situation. Let's move past it. Well, refing unions are strong. It's gonna be hard to change. I would love to see a top-down change, though. Just it won't happen though, because this is not to sympathize with the NHL on something like this, but they do have to be careful here because there is a good chunk of hockey fans that are just mouth breathing idiots who will look at the score stat line and in, in a fairly called game and go, Oh my God, they got six penalties and, and uh or we had six penalties they had zero what the hell is this bullshit and get irate about it so i don't empathize i don't sympathize sorry with the uh nhl situation because they're not gonna win either way if they call it honestly you're gonna get a lot of situations like that again fair or not i know deep in my heart of hearts that if i'm watching a red wings game and they take six legitimate penalties and the other team gets zero because they took no legitimate penalties i'm gonna be rattled at the end of it now i like to think the uh you know reasonable side of my brain will go well did you see anything that went the way it wasn't supposed to and i'll go no but i'll still be angry about it now i'll probably direct my angle anger at the red wings but most people won't and the NHL's at that point where they got to keep people happy constantly because money's tight. They need fans to come back. I mean, that's actually true in any season, let alone right now. So I I don't agree with it, but I, at least I can say I get it. You want to know how you know that Tim Peel isn't in touch with hockey? I, I mean, I hate to kick a guy while he's down, but at the same point in time, whatever. You know, he's not in touch with hockey where he decided he wanted to help the Red Wings by giving them a power play. And it's like, Tim, have you been paying attention, buddy? Clearly, he doesn't listen to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, he must have stopped listening a long time ago. I think I have an annual tradition of calling Tim Peel out. We don't want I- the power plays. Decline the power plays. If anything, Nashville should have been happy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I- I- any hockey fan, even without this, could wax poetic about it for, like, hours. Like, literally hours. My thing is, like, you guys touched on this, but there's there's versions of makeup calls, like, what, however you want to define that, where I'm like, I don't love it, but I understand it. Like, if a team is really pushing it, like, really, really pushing it, and they accidentally got away with something big, and you call them, like, you call something that's not borderline, but just, like, small compared to what you let go earlier that's actually hypocritical hypocritical based on what i said before but those are the kind of makeup calls where i'm like i get how that happens anyways it's a whole thing you're bound to get one there's just so much there's so much room for interpretation here where there, there just needs to be some structure built in we've circled back accidentally here it's just not I don't I'd be shocked if it happened. This is more than anyone was expecting. Um I don't see this story carrying for too much longer either. Yeah. Okay. Uh let's move on to the Red Wings here. Um before the game there were some charts put out about uh and I I can't remember I'll pull them up here so I can credit the person. Uh about the Red Wings and their 5 on 5 offense versus their 5 on 5 defense. Um I had made a comment about it. Brad had made a comment about it. I didn't realize that Brad had actually made a comment about it as well. Um, 
<clears throat> Brad met, oh, it was from J Fresh Hockey. Um, Brad made a comment to the effect of Detroit's five on five offense, dear God, because it is the worst in the league. And what I said was, honestly, the offense isn't surprising, but Detroit's five on five defense, which if you look at the chart is above league average, um, is worth noting because it goes a long way to in terms of watchability to not being shelled every night not losing 7-3 every time that kind of thing and i got a lot of responses pretty quickly talking about hey if you want to talk watchability this is miserable to watch it's low event hockey where they're generating no offense and those were all very fair and i completely agree my take on this was it's just less bad than it was before. If this never changes, I'll be just as upset in a year. But that five-on-five defense being somewhat serviceable compared to what we've had over the past five years, it's a small it's a small grace. And then what do the Red Wings do? They go and score no goals for six periods, playing the most six consecutive boring periods of hockey I've seen all year. So that's that's my punishment for, for putting that out into the world. <laughs> I mean, if we had guessed where the Red Wings would fall on that chart, just by how the season's gone, we would have been pretty close. And I think most fans would have been pretty close. We can, the Red Wings still have their games where it just turns into a Benny Hill skit in their own zone, but those are far fewer, fewer and further between this season. I mean, we're to me, them being above league, league average, even though slightly feels like a monumental victory. Um, the offense was actually worse than I was expecting. I knew it was going to be bad, but I forget who was second last. It was, I want to say Columbus. They weren't all that particularly close. Detroit was comfortably the worst offensive team in the NHL. So last year we had horrific and pretty boring. This year we have better, but like, catastrophically boring so we've just kind of flipped the problems but this is the better of the two problems to have you've been yelling the words low event brad since i think year two of blashill's tenure in detroit and here it is statistically represented and it's just such a a a little bradism here it's such a catch-22 because Low event means you're not scoring, but low event also means they're not scoring. So you you don't want – there's no quick fix here, right? Generating offense is the most important part of any hockey game, and it's also the most difficult thing to build into your team. Unless you want to say goaltending because you actually have to make a blood sacrifice to a witch doctor on another planet to get good goaltending, but that's a story for another day. Um I get why it's frustrating to watch. These past two games have sucked to cover. I've hated watching them as a fan. I've hated covering them as someone who creates hockey content. Like it's not, it's not been fun. But I think the only way to look at this is there, there's two different facets of it. One's optimistic, and I think one is a little bit more feet on the ground. The optimistic side is this is part of the rebuild. Eisman came in and said, I can't fix everything in one fell swoop. We're not going to fix everything in one free agency. It's just not the way you can do these things in the modern NHL with the way the salary cap is constructed, et cetera, et cetera. That's going to take some time. What I can do is make this team tougher to play against. And this is by design. This above average five on five defense is Steve Eisman's design. And it's through deliberate concerted moves that he's made. He's brought in guys who are tough to play against. He's brought in the Merrills. He's brought in the Ernie's. He's brought in the Stetchers, guys who make little incremental differences 
in terms of five on five defense. And he's also gotten rid of guys like Erickson and Bowie and what have you that were, you know, black holes for defense. That has to be the first step. You cannot lose 7 7-3, 5-0, 5-1 like the Red Wings were doing last year, night in and night out. There have been points this year where their points percentage was worse, but I still think at every point this year, the team was at least playing better 5-on-5. Five five. The offense has to come next for sure, but if you view, that, view this as a step, it's kind of what I'm doing as a fan of the Red Wings to get through it. Now, the feet on the ground side, and I'm I'm 100% positive, I bet all my money that this will be a pivot into Brad's point, is that Jeff Blashell needs to do a better job of creating systems that create, generate offense with the talent that they have, and that'll at least create a little bit more, you know, offensive generation, high danger chances, that kind of thing. Not a lot, but there, sh- there has to be a little bit more you can extract from the team. They cannot be this bad. So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to guess you saw the same stat floating around I did, but just in case you didn't, I'm going to ask you a fun question here. What team leads the league in high danger scoring chances, like relative to time and everything? Colorado. Very sound and reasonable and logical guess. You're wrong. Buffalo Sabres. <laughs> no, that would actually All right, be now maximum I both chaos. I go one end, the other, and now I'm bringing it in. Okay, I want one guess. I don't have this stat in front of me. I'm literally just looking at the, the five on five chart. I want to say. I'll give Mac- you a hint. This team does not generate a ton of shots, but their quality of shot is the best in the league, hence why they rank near the top of this particular stat. Minnesota. No. Okay. Who is it? The New York Islanders. Man, Barry Trotz is a wizard. They are easily the most defensively sound team in the league. They do not have an all-star roster. And Barry Trotz has them absolutely working at both ends of the A. So the most responsible team defensively in the NHL generates the best quality of scoring chance in the entire NHL. So the argument in favor of Blashill here is, hey, we understand you've made this team really good dis- defensively with, let's be honest, as as much as the defense personnel improved, a lot of spare parts and, and a lot of like middle of the road defensemen. When we're talking about Troy Stetcher and Philip Ronick being the best defenseman on this team that says everything you need to know about the talent there. Um, But you don't have to sacrifice offense for that. Now... In Jeff Blashill's defense, in terms of talent on the offense, that also sucks relative to the rest of the NHL. So he's not working with a lot there either. Sucks is often hurt. Yeah. Yeah. So not having Bertuzzi doesn't help. But consistently scratching Evgeny Svechnikov, sending down Giovanni Smith. These don't hurt. These don't help. Playing the Luke Glendening line as much as Philip Zadina doesn't help. I mean, you can teach by all metrics, Philip Zadina and Anthony Mantha are actually very sound defensively. So they should be playing light years more minutes than the Luke Lindenning line, but they don't. Mantha did last game, but hey, every once in a while, it's nice to see. The Red Wings have no offensive system at five on five, at least not one that I can discern. And normally I'm a big fan of don't have an offensive system, have creative players and let them free flow it. Um, The Red Wings don't have the talent to do that outside of one, maybe one and a half lines. So yeah, you're going to need to put something in place beyond a dump and chase and pray. Um, On the power play, 
that one unit still looks really good. Uh, Larkin and Zadina buzz around and Heronic moves a lot at the point. Despite being a right shot, he makes some things happen. It's a good unit and they've been consistently passable. The other one's an absolute mess and they haven't looked like they've had a scoring chance in six years. Um, I think they had Mantha playing net front last game. Like, <laughs> come on. Arguably the best shooter on your team playing net front. Like, it's just... It's maddening, which leads into arguably my biggest biggest criticism of last game. Now, I understand nothing happened this game. I understand the offensive highlight of that game was Philip Zadina had three very impressive zone entries by himself. Hundreds of players in the NHL do that every game. So when that's the highlight of the game, that tells you what, what their offensive output was like. Like, but Philip Zadina did look like the best Red Wings forward that game, which has happened a lot over the last six weeks. He's been the Red Wings best forward as much as he hasn't uh, on any given night. He's still never on the ice when the Red Wings are trailing by one or two in the final two minutes of a game, which is absolutely inexcusable to me. Um, I know I understand it's like, oh yeah, why didn't he score the first 57 minutes? Like I get it, but the other six slappies on the ice didn't either. So you might as well throw out the guys who have the best chance. Uh, Sam Gagne is one of the greatest human beings, uh, on the Red Wings. Why his ass is out there with two minutes left is laughable and Zadina's stapled to the bench. So defensively, Jeff Blashill deserves absolutely all of the praise he's getting this season. They are legitimately outperforming their talent level defensively. They are absolutely ruining all of that by how inept they are offensively, and they are playing well below their offensive talent level. So it is a give and take, and I understand that, but we're this deep into the season, and you can argue there's not enough talent and there isn't, and you can argue Tyler Bertuzzi is out, and that obviously hurts. You still have Mantha, Larkin, Fabry, Zadina, Bobby Ryan. You have players capable of producing offense. A point-per-game player who's been sitting in the press box for the last three games, so you can run seven defensemen. It's uh, So much of it just leaves me perplexed, because even as I've stated a hundred times, most of what Jeff Blashill does, I understand. I just dis- disagree with a lot of what he's doing on offense. I don't even understand. I don't see what his angle is. Um, I know, Evan, you were trying to jump in there. I'll throw it. I don't even know what I was going to say. <laughs> I think it was something about like, you know what? I'd rather be play run and gun and at least be excited than play a New York Islanders style and win games. I know that sounds ridiculous because we don't win in games at all, so it would be nice to win, but watching well, Islanders hockey is very boring. It's worth noting that the Islanders are both above are above average in both offense and defense. Um, I know what I gonna, said. <laughs> which leads into my point. I think there's a little bit of a, a misconception here where it has to be a trade-off between offense and defense, and it does not. There is – Colorado is the um, – sorry Colorado is one of the best teams in the NHL right now they're having a phenomenal season um they are the second best team offensively at five on five guess they what get they like bring? 15 shots a period it's insane they're so good and guess how where they rank in the league for defense probably near the top because they're 
defense is loaded too. Fourth. Second. Second. They're second in both offense and defense. Now, is that going to be true for the Red Wings as well? No, of course not. They're a much better team. They have the personnel to do it. I think there will be a little bit of a handoff between offense and defense if you're the Red Wings uh, and who they have. But yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean one comes at the expense of another in a linear way. You know, there is more juice in the fruit here. Yeah, that's a saying. Yeah, I don't know why I said that out loud. Uh, the juice was worth the squeeze the juice is well was it the though ju- was Jeff, it the the juice will be worth the squeeze uh you know what uh ripped on blashill a little bit there credit to blashill got the uh a very tough coaches challenge right that game that was the real highlight of the game for uh, goalie he, interference he's been successful with them this year he's had a uh the one that i remember should have never been overturned but hey he was right and they overturned it this one was fairly obvious and he rightly called it which was nice to see um you know what the depressing part of the the Red Wings is? Oh God! Yes. How much? How much? T- we have a limited amount of time, but go on. <laughs> Look who they extracted points out of. Uh, oh, I, I didn't. I call this. Yeah, three, four, three points out of out of uh, four from Tampa Bay, two of four from Carolina. Those are two of the best teams in the East, the NHL, and then. Their two games where they're shut out come out come against the next two worst teams in the Central Division. The only way they could be worse is if they were worse than the Red Wings, which they're not. They they get shut out by the seventh and the sixth place teams in the Central. Yeah, <laughs> as was foretold. <laughs> are, are you even a little surprised? No, but I wish I could be one day. <laughs> sure, would be nice to be surprised someday. Oh boy. The Red Wings up next, uh, before the next time we talk on this podcast, have Nashville again on uh, Thursday evening, and then Columbus back-to-back afternoon 3 p.m. games on Saturday and Sunday. Those are two home games for the Red Wings, for those lucky few who are able to attend the game safely. So uh, three games to talk about. Hopefully there's some more exciting stuff to talk about there. All right, we're going to get into a little bit of trade deadline talk here. But first, before we do that, I'm going to tell you all about how this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast is proudly brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook, who we are thrilled to partner with as they give us fans what we really need, more excitement and ways to get into the game. FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook for so many reasons. It's easy to use from registration to deposits and finding great bets. Withdrawals are quick and easy. You get your money back in your account in as quick as 24 hours. Now listen to this. FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just place a bet on any game and FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back if you don't win your first bet. No strings attached. If you win, you keep the cash. If you lose, you'll get up to one grand back in site credit. Uh, I wish we could use that for games like their upcoming uh, two-game series against Columbus because I don't think they can be shut out forever, and I would love the opportunity to bet on that rebounding. Uh, but in the meantime, what you guys can do is download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started with a risk-free bet of up to $1,000. Be sure to sign up with promo code WWP so they know the Winged Wheel podcast sent you. That's the FanDuel Sportsbook promo code WWP. I really must wish be- we could bet on games because... It would at least make them exciting. It it would be a way better way to just kind of buy into the games, literally. I'd be smashing the over on Jeff Blashill memes per 60 over under. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> 
Uh, and very quickly here, you must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Virginia, Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789, www1 gambler.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. Can you imagine in a pre-COVID time where uh you know there's full fans and and no masks to worry about how many Jeff Blashill faces per game what that over under would be set at? Astronomical. Right. Yeah. I'd still take the over. All right. The trade deadline. We've talked a lot about the Red Wings trade pieces, and, and that's still an ongoing story. But we haven't given a lot of attention to um, some other prominent trade pieces. So I, I'm referencing, again, Craig Custance's trade board on The Athletic here because it's a really good resource and way to kind of track these things. What happens with Taylor Hall? My gut right now, he finishes the season in Buffalo. Oh, that'd it, be atrocious for Buffalo. Yeah, yeah well... So one point that I've heard brought up a couple times, two points that I've heard brought up a couple times that kind of tie into each other for the sake of this conversation. One, a lot of NHL executives seem to think this is going to be a very quiet trade deadline um, for a million reasons. Um, but the second point, one of those reasons being normally owners are willing to buy at the trade deadline. Even if it's you're a fringe playoff team, just because a couple extra playoff home games is a lot of revenue. Teams aren't getting that revenue this year, so they're not as inclined. Even if Buffalo retains half, which is a big ask these days to retain four million dollars, the team acquiring Terry Hall also has to take on four million dollars prorated, of course, but still. That matters this year. In a normal year, that kind of stuff isn't a thought that registers in most teams' head. That is in every owner's head right now. So could Taylor Hall get traded? Yeah. Should he get traded? Hopefully. Um, are there teams that would line up for Taylor Hall? Uh, probably. Are they going to get Taylor Hall at $4 million? Uh, maybe not with a price they're willing to pay. So... And then you look at other teams, like, I don't know, just pulling one out of thin air, the Leafs, they don't have the cap space for Taylor Hall. So not only would Buffalo have to retain money, they would also have to get money back in the trade to make it work so Toronto can fit under the cap. And again, the Islanders would have been in the same situation if it wasn't for the Anders Lee injury. And that's going to be true of most contending teams right now. So not only are the quarantine protocols going to make everything tricky this trade deadline the money is going to be the bigger issue okay but if you're kevin adams the sabers are in one of the worst spots we've seen an nhl like man like administratively an nhl team be in administratively in a long time like they are in a bad spot in the same hole that arizona is in but arizona is doing better right like if you're kevin adams and you've had this 10-year rebuild you cannot, under any circumstance, let Taylor Hall pass the trade deadline as a Buffalo Sabre, in my mind, because he's not going to re-sign. A big reason why he came to the Sabres was Ralph Kruger, and I've heard he's not in town anymore, right? So if it comes to trading Taylor Hall for literally a second-round pick and you have to retain money, that hurts, but that still 
has so much tangible benefit to the Buffalo Sabres and they need literally any positive that they can. You are right about everything you said, but you said the wrong name. This isn't a Kevin Adams thing. Kevin Adams will give Taylor Hall away for a six-round pick if he's got nothing better going. Is Terry Pagula going to sign off on eating that much money when he's already paying, what, two coaches and a GM to not be employed by the team right now? So, yeah, But Taylor Hall's not winning them games, right? So it doesn't matter. Oh, no, I. that's exactly the point I'm making is everything from a hockey standpoint makes sense. Most teams can handle the two-week quarantine if a player requires it here, no problem. Not no problem. It's obviously inconvenient, but they could do it. A lot of owners are not going to sign off on dollars retained or dollars acquired. The trades that are going to work this trade deadline, and this is actually good news for Red Wings fans, is the guys who are making no money. Bobby Ryan is a drop in the bucket for most of these teams to acquire. The Red Wings could retain half and then they're only trading away 500,000 and that's prorated. They're they're getting Bobby Ryan for basically nothing in by NHL standards. Those are the players who are going to have some value around this deadline because it's going to be very easy for the owners to sign off on, but the problem is Bobby Ryan's not a needle mover. Um the Matthias Eckholms, the Taylor Halls, the David Savards, the guys who are making you know, $4 million plus are going to be hard to move because there's going to be complications here. The The trades that are going to work are probably going to be even money in, even money out, and that's going to have to count whichever team's retaining salary. The teams that can have fans in the stadiums will probably push harder because there is that gate revenue. So there's a bit of an advantage to those teams at the trade deadline. Like they will have the money to spend on bigger contracts if they want to. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's not going to be a, a no trade trade deadline. Like I'm not saying sitting here going, every gym is going to sit on their hands, but if this is the year, if people are expecting chaos, it's not coming. All the Blake to- Coleman's are being traded this year. Well, I mean, don't joke because Blake Coleman. Yeah. Anyways, I hadn't even considered like a a team, whatever state or province they're in, their rules on who can be in the arena will actually inform on their hockey decisions. That's nuts. Yep. I keep thinking that like you're not going to see the helm level trade pieces move. Like it's not there's not going to be that much trade depth this year. And I I would still bet on that. But I don't know. I just see it. I, I see see it as unpredictable. I don't know, but I really think that if we are going to see an active deadline, we'll see it soon. It has to be soon. They they really need to get ahead of that. Any quarantine periods, if there's going to be across the border or anything like that. So here's the thing, though: Do you act soon? I, if I was a GM, I might not, because uh, yeah, you you get the player for longer. Um, you have to probably pay a little more in terms of the return price, but. The U.S. is vaccinating a hell of a lot of people every day right now. So if a bunch of players get vaccinated in the next three weeks, that does open up the trade deadline a little more from the quarantine standpoint. Um, And the NHL, I know a lot of managers are pushing the NHL to, you know, ease the quarantine restrictions, yada, 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 for players who do have the vaccine. And there have been reports that there are already players vaccinated. So, well, the NBA did that. Yeah. If a certain percentage of the team is vaccinated. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I think the NHL is hoping to do something similar or like, you know, if instead of a two-week quarantine, if a player is vaccinated, you know, maybe three days, two negative tests. I, I don't know, something like that. But uh, that would also open up the trade deadline at least a little bit more. But yeah, it's going to be interesting because you're not going to see those Taylor Hall for a first round pick trades because not because Taylor Hall is not worth a first round pick. It's because no team's just absorbing $8 million right now. That should get clipped for sure. What? No. Brad's clip of what he just said. Cause you know, now it's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a first round um, pick for Taylor Hall straight up. Uh, we'll just clip it and go. I am a psychic. When is the trade deadline? Is it two weeks away? Two and a April half. April 12th. Oh, yeah. The the Canadian government's not making a decision on uh, reducing the quarantine time for vaccinated athletes in that time. No, the we Canadian don't even have an answer on the... Some intern still the has that yeah. email. Yeah. The North Division is going to be very quiet for trades, which is probably going to give Mark Bergevin an aneurysm, honestly. We need a, a frantic North Division because really all of my subtext for tweets is Toronto trade for Bernier and Bergevin go nuts trying to trade for Mantha. Like, please, I want someone to do something stupid. Oh, so someone always does. We can guarantee that. We just don't know what or who. Just less likely to be in Canada. I, I, I zoned out for a second there because all I could think of was imagine playing this segment back to ourselves five years ago. How insane it would sound. How absolutely batshit that would all, this would all sound. Yeah, this player is not getting traded because of quarantine protocols and uh, nobody having any money. All right, what's next? <laughs> <laughs> well, now's a good time as, as ever to uh, head into overtime. Now that we've stepped firmly into the realm of the insane. Uh, Con- overtime- congrats to uh, Albin Greva and Seth Barton, by the way. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Albin Greva got his... Uh, we, we mentioned that he was coming over to North America to potentially play in the OHL if the OHL gets going, which was looking like it was going to happen, but now is maybe up in the air. Uh, and he got a, a professional tryout with the Grand Rapids Griffins. So not guaranteed that he makes it. Um, I think it would be a big step for him if he did, and it would go a long way for him as a prospect in the Red Wing system. Him adjusting to the North American ice is a really, really important step in his progression. So, yeah, that'd be really cool if he made the Griffins. Uh, and, yeah, just before the podcast or earlier today, Seth Barton uh, signed his PTO. Um, he's been playing. It's UMass Lowell, right? He's been playing with. Uh, yeah. Yes. yes, it is. So, 21, third-round pick from uh, 2018. He's a, a defenseman. I think he, when he was drafted, he was drafted as a two-way defender and seems to have done well with UMass Lowell. So, um, he'll move forward in the Red Wing system, two-year entry-level contract. Did I say he signed his PTO? I meant ELC. He signed his two-year ELC. So, small uh, small updates for, for the Red Wings prospect pipeline. And I know people keep asking about Petrozelli if and when he'll sign his ELC. If he does, it, it won't happen until Quinnipiac's done playing, which will be soon-ish, I believe, but not quite yet. Okay, uh, let's jump into overtime here. Midweek episode, so overtime is Patreon exclusive. Um, our patrons are the heart and soul of the show, and they're the reason why we are able to sit here and say insane things like uh, speculate about government decisions on quarantine and border easing and things like that. Stuff that would not have made sense three years ago. Anyhow, we're going to start with Max Leichman, who says, given the state of the Red Wings power play, why are people jumping to the conclusion that Peel was trying to hurt the Preds? And the one time I thought I made an original joke, turns out I didn't. <laughs> uh, Andrew Bohan says, when will poor Fabry get minutes on a team that doesn't suck? And how does De- how has De La Rose made the Blues, li- Blues lineup? 
I don't profess to know a lot about the Blues, but I know De La Rose is up and down quite a bit, so he just seems to be their plug-and-play fourth-line, 13th forward guy. He's doing for St. Louis exactly what he did for us, which is not uh, much. Michael Barry says, as a goalie, if my team plays better when my teammates in net, it's frustrating for me. When it's the reverse, I just throw my hands up as I can't do anything. As a player, what's it like when your team plays better with one person in net versus teammate? I'll be honest. I don't have a ton of good examples of any of my teams doing that. I'm sure we've had bad games, obviously. But yeah, I don't, I've never been on a team where it's been as noticeable of a trend as it has been with Grace this year. I've played on teams where there's different mojo, depending on who's in net. Yeah, I've I've seen the inverse uh, where we we've had one goalie who could like one of our goalies can be considered a top goalie in the league, and the other guy, uh, you just pray they don't go in from center ice, and that sure as hell changes the uh, defensive structure of the team when the backup goes in. <laughs> Yeah, I've played on teams where we've played worse in front of our backup. That's probably something to do with confidence and, yeah, who knows. Uh, Chris Kenny says, love the pod, boys. Apologies if this got covered previously, but how would you rank the pro professional hockey leagues? I'm curious as to how the AHL stacks up against the European leagues. That's an interesting question. Obviously, the NHL is number one here. It's – I – I go KHL too, and then I kind of have the SHL and the AHL on the same plane. It's tough, though, because the KHL and the SHL are such a different game from the North American game, which is why you see guys like Shipachov come over and it doesn't translate despite dominating the second best league in the world. Um, so it's it, it's tough to really get a gauge on it. But yeah, I go NHL, KHL. And then SHL, AHL are pretty close. And then Liga, Switzerland, so on and so forth. Yeah, I agree with the KHL being there. I being second, I would probably put the SHL at a firm third. Yeah. Above the AHL. Yeah, I have the AHL more in the mix with the Liga. I could probably see those interchangeably. I don't want to sit here and pretend I know for sure because the extent of my following of those leagues is, is pretty closely tied to prospects. So... I have a hard time. Like I don't. If there's Finnish or Swedish listeners, I don't want to sit here and and declare this solidly and disparage. You know, really, really strong pro leagues. Um, the AHL also fluctuates, right? Like the more at any given time, there could be a huge influx of talent because there weren't a ton of like game breaking guys who made the jump straight to the NHL. Or conversely, there was a lot of guys who skipped that step and went from the OHL to the NHL, for example. So. Yeah, I, I'd say the top three is NHL, KHL, SHL for me before you start considering the AHL over league or anything like that. Evan Beckner says, uh, gentlemen, I just finished watching season three of Drive to Survive and I noticed something interesting in F1, which if implemented in the NHL could be really fun and full on team chaos. What if players could negotiate and sign contracts for future seasons to other teams while still currently under contract? I That would be very fun, but the... F1 is an individual sport and it just does not work the same way in the NHL. Like, I, I just don't see that ever working. If I was a player, I wouldn't want to do that because you know your ice time is going down as soon as you do that. You know any preferential treatment or whatever you get is gone. You know your teammates are going to look at you funny. Like I, I For the storylines, it would be amazing. Um but from a practicality standpoint, any player who actually did it would be nuts. 
Uh, Kyle Hashman says, will the Wings ever score again? Jokes aside, it's painful to watch zero event hockey. I'd rather give up some goals if it meant we score on occasion. Does this force Svech into the lineup faster or do we wait until after the deadline? (laughs) Are you new here? (laughs) Well, you can tell Brad's feelings in the situation. Uh, Alex Zucco says, hey guys, out of curiosity, what do you think the price would be for Stevie to trade for a high-end goalie prospect in a different organization? Who doesn't have a clear path to be the team starter within the next few seasons. Thinking off the top of my head about guys like Ingram with Nashville, now behind Askarov, Spencer Knight with Florida, Bobrovsky uh, is in front of him. Um, you'd have to go team by team. There might be a time in the near future where Florida really needs cap relief, right? So you take on a bad contract and give him a sweetener and then you ask for Spencer Knight. It's a hard premium to pay though because it's hard to find premium goalies. Yeah, right now, what Detroit would have to give up for Spencer Knight would probably make most Red Wings fans very uncomfortable. So there's still better to roll the dice for a year or two. And obviously, the prospect matters because Ingram versus Spencer Knight are going to be two very different costs. So it just depends how much you want to roll the dice. Also, why do hockey guys almost universally say organization instead of organization? This is truly an unrivaled paradox. I, isn't it just pronounced organization? You organize something, not organize something? It, now I'm questioning myself, how do I say it? Because neither feels natural all of a sudden. Organization, organization. I say organization. Huh. Organization. That's- yeah, I think I'm a Z guy. Wait, that's not the question here. It's the I that's in question. Yeah, are you an uh, organization the- or an organization? Oh, whoops. I'm a Zed guy. <laughs> Revan's a Zed guy. There, we solved it. Uh, Jake Kiefer says, this has been beaten like a dead horse. Uh, if you were a Rangers fan, should you have any bit of concern regarding Lafreniere? Don't believe he's a bust and he's extremely young, but do you have? Uh, do you believe any bit of pre-draft ceiling projection, projection should be altered at all? No, just because fundamentally, I think people need to understand that ceilings are not... Development's a big part of it. Um, and ceilings are almost never reached and it's a kind of absolute you deal with purely for speculative purposes when picking players to draft. And also he's like six years old. Please give him a chance. Yeah. Like I'd be mildly concerned because you would hope to have shown better, but, uh, it sure as hell isn't reassuring. So give him that. Honestly, if if the Rangers or L.A. with Byfield or Buffalo with Darlene want to like panic, I'm all for it. Just we'll take your scraps in Detroit. We'll take your busts, please. Um, I'm not saying every single player we've ever touted or people have ever touted as a high end or one of the best prospects of the, that draft class is going to pan out. No, there are going to be busts, but there's no way to know they're going to be busts before you draft him, as you draft him, or even a year later. If you knew, you wouldn't draft him. And this isn't directed at you, Jake. It's just a general commentary. Um, La Plata Peak says, what's the podcast take on cre- keeping the teams of the Great White North in the same division past this year? Massive revenue loss of this year makes me think the Canadian owners will probably push pretty hard for this. On a side note, if Arizona moves to Quebec, this becomes much more likely as a full quarter of the NHL will be in Canada assuming quebec doesn't try to secede again of course (laughs) that's the first problem when seattle comes in it's going to be an uneven balance and you wouldn't be able to run a seven team division unless you put seattle into the canadian division 
two them make more sense and two that many different time zones is not ideal so even though in theory it would be a great idea it's just not i think feasible long term you have to remember that these decisions are made because of money and rest that's why we have the division setup that we have now. That's why the Red Wings pushed so hard to get in the East before because of the constant, you know, staying up for 10, 30, 11 o'clock games, the constant flights, that kind of thing. No, yeah, I, I, I'm fully in support of going back to the old divisions. If anything, if you, there's a change where I'm more amenable to it now that I wasn't before. I kind of like the series model of playing games and Players and teams like it because they get to go into a city, stay there for four or five nights, play two or three games, and then leave. And to me, that makes I, – I, I'm not saying I love it and they shouldn't get away from it, but I don't hate it. And if it had a big tangible benefit to the players in the, in the, the league, I'd be for it. Like I don't see a massive negative impact to not having this. Like I, I'm not missing a lot from the old schedule. Uh, Cody Stark says, as my friend who officiates college hockey said, not one hockey fan who has ever officiated a higher level of hockey will ever understand the situation completely. So much more than this, so much more than this or to this than a five second, no context hot mic clip can give us. Yeah, and that's true. And I don't think that Tim Peel should be crucified for, you know, saying something which, like Brad said, every ref says and is part of a, a the larger game management conversation. Fishburger35 says, hey guys, which would you choose between these two hypothetical lineups for a playoff run? Option one, four words, clones of Martin Furk, defense clones of Troy Stetcher, goalie 09-2010 Jimmy Howard, or option two, four words, clone of Dylan Larkin, defense clones of Mark Stahl, goalie 19-20 Jimmy Howard. Oh, it's got to be option one. A thousand percent I'm taking option one. I love Dylan Larkin, but... Oh my God, 1920 Jimmy Howard with Mark Stahl in front of him. It doesn't matter if Larkin scores a thousand goals every shot, every time they cross the red lines going in. <laughs> Although, could you even, you could probably count on, on that Jimmy Howard to, no, he was like, not 1920 out. Jimmy. Yeah. Howard. Oh, nine, 10 Jimmy Howard almost won uh Vesna and a Calder. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Hot Mike says, when will you people learn? Always assume the mic is on. Anyways, you're welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Hot Mike. Uh, next comment from Brad's favorite will trade heroin for goals says we've been shut out, but I honestly can't remember the last time we had a shutout. The Red Wings have had a shutout. Uh, have they even had, I don't think they've had one this year. Have they? That'll be up to you to search up while I move on here. Arjun Shanker says, I'm shocked. Shocked. I tell you, well, not that shocked. Uh, Reese Roper's blue comb. Says, just for Terry, can each one of you tell us your best worst movie? Which, I mean, the movie that best exemplifies the worst movie you've ever seen. Like, mystery science theater level movies. I love uh, The Core, which is a god-awful sci-fi movie. It's terrible. It's so bad. But I am. it's kind of a guilty pleasure for me to watch it. Um, the Red Wings have not had a shutout this year. Huh. Just an update there, at least my from what my quick glance could tell. And so we're talking about just like really like legitimately shitty movies that you love with all of your heart. Yeah. Oh, I have so many. I love Beer Fest. Have is you that guys like, ever watched? Is that Beer like Fest? really considered a shitty movie though? Like the Broken Lizard guys are always good. People, well, 
say it's not film, but it's one of the greatest films of all time. <laughs> North Moto says this does, game is hold no on, hold on. Does oh. Just Friends count? Just Friends and No Strings Attached. Is, are those the two? No Strings Attached and Just Friends? No, Just Friends is the one with Ryan Reynolds. Oh, uh, okay. Like, like years, years ago, like 15, 20 years ago. It's just like some shitty rom-com, but like the humor is so on point. It it works. Uh, North Moto says this team has no confidence in Grice. The mentality changes and the byproduct of that is they change the way they play. They look like a different team when uh, he's in net. Fun fact, Valeno means poison in Italian. Joe Poison. Sounds like a name from an 80s hair band. <laughs> Joe Poison is a badass name. Hell yeah. Um, English Major says, hey guys, I'm curious what you guys are thinking about all these prospects signing. I'm sure some of them are eligibility, uh, have to do with eligibility expiring, but is this a sign that Steve wants to have a fire sale and this is to balance out Grand Rapids and Detroit? Well, Seth Barton isn't like he can't like that's for next season. So that has nothing to do with right now. So yeah, it just means he's not going back to for his fourth year at UMass. Um, I'm not reading too much into it. Grava, they just want him in North America, and they just want him getting some ice time. Sabrango, same thing. They just want him getting some ice time. Oh, man, my page loaded on me. All I see is Gaines says, Sup, fellas, I want to get a Shaleftia uh, Berggren jersey. Do I get the real embroidered one or the replica screen-printed one? Replica comes with all the ads and name and number. The real one comes completely plain with none of the stupid ads and no name or number, so I'd have to ship it out and get it done. It's about twice the price of the replica. Oh, get the replica, thousand percent. I want what they wear on the ice. So if the regular one's not coming with the ads and the name and number, I'm getting the other one. I want the whole shebang. Cameron Mugford says, hey, guys, as always, the shows are awesome. I look forward to them every week. Thank you, Cameron. Uh, Two-part question. Which of the following is most likely to happen? And second, which is most likely to happen first? Cider wins a Norris. Zadina scores 30 goals. Raymond gets a 70 points in the season. And Wings make the playoffs. Most likely to happen first? I'll say Zadina to 30. If, If the pucks were dropping for him this year, he'd be pretty close to on pace. And that's with – he's playing with Sam Gagne and Vlad Nemesnikov right now for sakes, and he's still make, getting chances. So I'll say that Zadina is the most likely. Zadina and Raymond might do that in the same season. That would yeah. be ideal. I mean, by rule, the the ring, the ring, wings will make the playoffs one day, so I would say that's the most likely by rule. Will but they? Yeah. <laughs> let's, not, let's not get too, too – uh, let's not doom scroll too much here. I don't want to think of the timeline. Whenever people ask me the timeline, I just kind of black out. Um, and I'm Devin says evening dub dub hosts. This is a question probably more for Brad as someone who's never played hockey and doesn't necessarily know the little things to look for in a game. What's something you'd suggest watching for or better yet? Could you do a live stream of a game sometime to point out little things that someone who hasn't played may not notice or even know to look for? Oh, I would love to do something like that. Um, it's hard to say because my advice to people when they're starting hockey, and I, I assume you mean you're starting to play hockey, would be just master the little things first, skating, shooting, stick handling, because if you don't have those three things, I can tell you everything else is not going to matter all that much. For me, the the most important thing, regardless of level of hockey, whether you're starting out or you're well-established, learn to read the ice. It sounds so dumb, but read where players are going, how players move, what positioning is. So your life on the ice gets a ton easier 
If you can creep into the spots where the other team isn't, or you're where the puck's going to be, it's what, what we talked about Walter Gretzky a couple of weeks ago. He, it's what it was his first bit of advice to Wayne. Go to where the puck is going to be, not where it is. Now, this isn't obviously I understand this isn't easy to learn and it's not going to happen overnight, but learn to read the play and it'll make your life a ton easier. Gear wear is the most important thing about hockey and get a tinted visor. <laughs> don't actually Callan S says how frustrated was Mickey at the fact that Helm couldn't finish if he had to either give up the first round pick of this up and coming draft or re-sign Blash Hill for the next three years which one do you pick sorry so we we get we get the first round pick but we have to keep Blash Hill for three years yeah oh I hate you the fact Blashill. that I yeah, I think that's the answer, but I hate that I'm actually debating that because how many prospects do we ruin in the meantime? <laughs> God damn it. Matthew Tangsrud uh, says, I think it's ironic that our starting goalie gets hurt and our offense drives up. Even the refs couldn't help. Uh, by the way, maybe who's, whoever was responsible for muting those mics can talk to Evan about how that's done. Uh, I'm an expert. I'm a subject matter expert on <laughs> my, mic muting. Uh, last week was my birth miss. Happy belated birthday. And my wonderful wonderful wife got a video via Cameo from the Scotty Bowman wishing me a happy birthday. And then she let me buy a Trigger pellet grill. If anyone That's else has watched... Hilarious that Scotty Bowman knows what that is. I know. I was just thinking, like, Scotty Bowman's on Cameo? What? He's, like, 20 years too old to know what Cameo is, but that's amazing. Uh, has anyone else watched the NCAA... Or is anyone else watching the NCAA hockey tournament this weekend hoping to see North Dakota go all the way? Go, Sue. I would love to, but um, I won't be boarding the high seas this weekend. Go blue. Anthony Manthony says, uh, I had a question that I want to ask all week, but I went to the dispensary today and I got some THC drink enhancers. I had never heard of it before, so I thought I'd give it a try. Now I'm lit and I don't remember my question. <laughs> <laughs> uh ryan lee says i'm curious to see how the seattle expansion draft will affect the nhl entry draft i'm wondering if maybe we have a quiet trade deadline but then a busier draft weekends with trades because the expansion draft will be over everyone will know where they stand and what they need moving forward i feel like if eisman's going to make a big move it'll be more likely around the draft than at the deadline that's a really good point any move of significance yes i agree uh, another former junior goalie turned golfer says, well, now that I dropped out of law school, I have a way more time for golf. It's just too bad that I'm a range superstar and trash on the course. Also nice to know that I'm not the only one who, uh, who's watching the wings, who's watching wings hockey well high. Got a question about the Canadian junior systems. Just exactly how difficult is it to make it into the CHL and how do the levels work? Oh my God. It's incredibly it's, difficult. It's unbelievably difficult. So maybe we need another Patreon exclusive about. Yeah. Like we're talking a fraction of a fraction of a percent ever sniff the OHL, C, uh, WHL, QMJHL. Since unless you're, you're unless you're in Waterloo. Although my age group wasn't great, but the year younger than us had like eight guys playing the O. Play in the O or get drafted into the O? Play. And then there was like three that played in the NHL. Wow. I was going to say out of my entire age group, like my entire league. So counting, going all the way from Sarnia to Hamilton, we have one guy in the NHL. And on my, like my team, we had one guy get drafted to the OHL and he never made it. Zach Ronaldo played in my hockey league. So there you go. How many pims did he have? <laughs> he fought a parent. 
Oh, hockey virgin says, uh, I was driving around thinking about whether or not it was worth it to keep that amazing playoff streak alive. I kept thinking about it. Uh, I realized that this team was similar to the Cavaliers, a very good team. But when LeBron left, the dumpster fire happened. My question is, what is the best comparison to the Red Wings success and now dumpster fire in any sport? Um, what's about to happen to the San Antonio Spurs? What's happening to the Patriots? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Ugh, I hate equating Red Wings hockey to Boston sports, but there you go. Uh, Stay Fresh Cheesebag says, hey there, fellas. Let's take a moment and congratulate Evan on his sweet Ollie. Hey, Evan, congrats on your Ollie. Dude, I'm still sore from Saturday. <laughs> what day is it? Wednesday? Yeah, I'm yeah. my hips. I woke, I woke up and I thought I broke my back. <laughs> I couldn't get out of bed. God. Life comes out. How do you play quick. golf? And I how do you play so much golf? It's it's a different spot in my back. It's the lower back, but where golf is just my back. Um, seriously though, the league is going to pretend like we all don't already know that they control officiating. Mick got Bettman to admit it years ago during an intermission interview, and nobody batted an eyelash. Tim Peel, Tim Peel was doing the job they've all been instructed to do, but he got caught, and Bettman doesn't want to incur the wrath of the league's betting interests. Uh, they should go back to one ref. Uh, when they added the second ref, everything was being called in order to promote more offense and help the league get out of the dead puck era. It's no longer needed. If there were more objective standards, there'd be fewer rats trying to see which what they can get away with and the games would be more exciting. Fewer stops, more skilled rushes, but the league is afraid of taking away offense or making any change whatsoever. They've already filled that quota for a decade. Aussie for Hall of Fame, stay fresh cheese bags. Tim Peel really was the perfect scape scapegoat in this yeah. situation and i bet you know it probably sucks to for him to not go out on his own terms and and write it all out but i mean this is not a bad outcome of the whole situation look yeah you know what my sympathy extends so far as i feel bad that tim peel's being made out to be the only villain here when if if you're going to consider anyone villains it's everyone involved um but if you get 15 a 15 year career when you really should not have like i'm sorry tim peel was not a good referee like missing the last 15 games or whatever it is of your career i'm like yeah fine fine punishment whatever he'll be all right he'll be fine he'll be okay tim you're welcome on the pod anytime and you can call me a douchebag but if not actually we're gonna you. well it'll do the patrons no we're this is actually going to be a pay-per-view event yeah yeah it's a, a patreon be- exclusive yeah <laughs> tim peel patreon exclusive <laughs> all right we're gonna wrap up this week uh this episode of the wind wheel podcast we will be back with you on sunday uh, i'd like to thank all of our listeners um our sponsor of the show the FanDuel Sportsbook. sports uh, again please check out the jamie Fa- jamie daniels foundation we'd like to thank our name level sponsors arjun shanker eves bartels on behalf of the sarah grand foundation brett bailey terry driver of evans firk wagon taylor tagel arjun shanker brandon m by felicia citizen high five craig kibble greech hana lee hassam al Qasem, jacob turner jake kiefer jeremiah dobo kaylin wood cody stark kyle hashman luke johnson matt mckay matthew m rice oral roberts uh fan club ra ryan hubbard scott martin zach spring andrew bohan sam bankson another former junior goalie turned golfer antonio gracias connor leighton evans bingo card evans caboose uh, G- uh evans caboose driver wait no 
Jeremy Brocker, John Evans, Joseph Minema, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Matt Keeler, Stan Olson, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Trevor Pavavar. Thank you all so much. We'll see you Sunday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.